local newspapermen meet such interesting people. They know the lowdown, now it can be told. I'll tell you quite reliably off the record about some charming people I have known. For I meet politicians and grafters by the score. Killers plain and fancy, it's really quite a bore. Oh, newspapermen meet such interesting people. They wallow in corruption, crime and gore. Ting-a-ling-a-ling, city desk. Pull the press, pull the press. Extra, extra, read all about it. It's a mess meets the test. Oh, newspapermen meet such interesting people. It's wonderful to represent the press. The Media Project is a half hour of commentary and analysis in which we explore some of the issues going on in the news media in recent days. I'm Rex Smith here with Dr. Alan Shartok, the CEO of Northeast Public Radio and a couple of veteran newspaper editors now retired, Barbara Lombardo from Saratoga Springs and Troy and Judy Patrick from Schenectady, the Gazette, the Saratogian, the Record, and I was once the editor of the Times Union, not once, uh, many times. <laughs> Many years. Every day. Every day. That's right. And here we are offering pot shots at those still doing the job. No, not at all. Alan, I want you to what? comment on this, please. Polls. You know, the election just over weeks back, pollsters, amazingly enough, got it wrong yet again, prompting actually an apology in New Jersey. The head of the Monmouth University Polling Institute, a guy named Patrick Murray, apologized for projecting an easy win for the governor of New Jersey. In fact, it was just so tight as could be. He said, I blew it. So why do we in the media, the news media, still pay attention to polls? Well, because it makes news. And very often people vote based on what they think the results are going to be. So if you say this is going to be an easy win, usually it will be helpful to the person who's going to make the easy win because a lot of people like to get onto the bandwagon. But sometimes it has exactly the opposite effect. So polls can be very important. When I first got out of graduate school, I worked at a place called the Eagleton Institute of Politics, and it was the first poll in New Jersey. Hmm. Now everybody's got a poll, because if you want to get a lot of attention for your college or university or anything else, if you have a poll, it's well worth having, because that's what everybody knows the name of your institution from. So there are lots of different polls out, like this other poll. But I can well understand when intuition overtakes the numbers. Intuition meaning, of course he's going to win. He's the governor of Democratic New Jersey. He won overwhelmingly last time. Biden won very high there. So my intuition tells me, because maybe because I'm a Democrat too. I'm not saying Allen is a Democrat, but maybe if he's a Democrat, he tends to predict what he wants to happen. And so is there something, Barbara, is there something we should be doing about this as journalists? Yes, we have to be not lazy and not rely on polls as a way to just tell stories. Hey, there's a poll. I can write about the poll. What do people mm. think about the poll? Do you agree mm. with the poll? And instead, look at more issues and also be very careful about reporting on polls. I think we're fortunate to have some very well-known, reliable, just as you said, how it raises the stature of certain places, Marist, Siena, Quinnipiac. They're polls I tend to look at carefully and think that they are credible overall, but maybe because they're closer to home, I think that they're trustworthy. When I look at some of those national polls, and there's lots of instances where big institutions have stopped presidential polling because of having blown it, I'm very skeptical, and I think that it's important that reporters and editors and institutions look at 
who was asked these questions? What exactly were they actually asked? You know, who replied to these polls? And how are those mm. numbers extrapolated? What's the plus or minus? What's the percentage of error? How are they reaching out now to actually find people to answer these questions? And what were the questions actually? Judy? Uh, no, polls are a crutch. Uh, reporters use them for a quick and easy story instead of delving into campaign finance and instead of delving into policy issues. It's easy to just crank out a poll story. It's a disservice to the citizens. It's a disservice to the candidates. I understand that the candidates themselves do their own internal polling, and that shapes how they proceed with their campaign. But I would argue that the American public has become addicted to polling and to covering campaigns like horse races, and that's really not the way it should be. And it can trick you into not voting, which is what I think Alan was saying. It could be a plus, oh, I'm going to vote for the winner, or it could be a minus. I don't have to turn out to vote because mm-hmm. Hillary Clinton's going to have it in the bag. Trump you can't possibly win. You, know, you mentioned the internal polling, which is true. I, in my youth, I worked in a couple of congressional races, and you know these are driven entirely by polls. The professionals in politics use polls very differently from the way journalists do. They don't look at the horse race numbers. They look at the issue divisions and the way that people are making decisions on issues. And so they can affect, they believe they can move people with choice of phrases, they poll for the way that they formulate issues with what issues they articulate and point to. So polling is really useful for campaigns internally. But I think we journalists kind of rely on it because we want to be able to predict the future. We want to seem hey, very smart. Here we know what's going on. And you can't, of course. You don't really know. It's just a moment in time, after all. The polling is on what people are True. saying at this moment. And that can change pretty radically. And pretty nothing quickly. could be, Rexy, nothing could be more specific about that than the fact that when before Biden had his last success in the Congress, he polled it. 36 percent to 38 percent. I'm willing to bet you that the day after, after he got that bill through, he would be up another five points as a result of that. But you're right. And uh, just imagine yourself having to deal with inflation. Do we need a poll to tell us the American people hate inflation? (laughs) You know, (laughs) and believe me, that's what they're telling him now. And so he goes out there and responds to inflation and what he thinks he can do about that. The problem is that if all the editors in America and producers got together and decided we're not going to use polling anymore, either to cover it or we're not going to use it to determine who we're covering, how would they know who to cover? I'm sorry, I'm being just a little bit facetious here, but polling helps editors and producers decide which candidates they're going to cover when you have a big field, like the Democratic presidential field last time around. And what's amusing is the way that, amusing but sad for journalism, the way that the coverage shifted when real numbers started to come in. You know, the polls were very favorable for Elizabeth Warren before Iowa. She lost Iowa badly, and suddenly the coverage changed. They weren't following her as much, and then the numbers went down further because they weren't covering her as much. So to Alan's original point, polling becomes sort of a self-fulfilling prophecy. There's another way that the polls are useful, and that is in determining what people are interested in, and that's also Mm. a lot of the questioning in polls. What are your top priorities? And that can help drive coverage. One of the problems with polls, though, is it's just a matter of degree. There's just so many of them, as Alan mentioned, and there's so much coverage of them. And I also think that if the media focuses too much on polls, which become bad, which are erroneous, it hurts our credibility in the long term. People go, oh, then, you know, the newspapers, there they go again. 
Right. Which, by the way, a pollster will, honestly, if you get them, I don't know, maybe you have to get them drunk or something, but a truth serum among pollsters will tell you that it's so much harder to poll now because of the cell phone dilemma. Sure. You know, people don't answer their phones at home or they don't answer the phones at all. So the people you get on the phone tend to be folks who are mm, lonely or are willing to take calls. And so you have to extrapolate then, <laughs> scientifically extrapolate beyond the actual numbers of people that you reach. And that's difficult. You know, uh, I'm feeling bad now because I did answer a poll. Was I just lonely? <laughs> well, maybe you're just taking your civic responsibility. <laughs> just you know? call me up anytime, Judy. <laughs> <laughs> Alan will answer anything. You know, anybody, anybody who calls. No, she said she was lonely. I was yeah, lonely. I know. I know. That's very nice. It's very kind. So this is anyway the Media Project, and we welcome you, Alan Shartuck, Judy Patrick, Barbara Lombardo, and I'm Rex Smith. And if you want to have your views heard, media at wamc.org is how you can write to us. So we are now going to talk about Fox News, and we have to do that on this show because Fox News is still influential. We talked uh, last week about how the viewership of cable news channels has declined significantly. CNN and MSNBC are down by half from 2020. Fox News is down by 37 percent. But here is an interesting study from the Kaiser Family Foundation, which primarily studies health. People who trust Fox News Channel and other right-wing sites are more likely to believe COVID falsehoods than those who go elsewhere for news. I guess this shouldn't surprise us, but to know that somebody who is addicted to a certain uh, news site is actually dumber because of it is pretty stunning, right? Right. <laughs> I'm not stunned. This is old news. It's something yeah. that's barely worth reading beyond the headline and just going, oh, my God, what do we do about it? And because I don't know the answer, yeah. I moved on. But they do go, people do go, their eyeballs go, where they agree with the premise that is being advanced. So if Fox News is the right-wing news channel, then the right-wingers are going to go to Fox. You don't really need much more than that. Yeah, Fox has trained their audience over the years to come to them to affirm their beliefs. You just have to wonder the amount of good it could do if it just changed its stance on vaccination alone. That alone. Well, of course, Fox requires its employees to be vaccinated while on the air. Its TV personalities, I'm not going to call them journalists, are constantly diminishing, devaluing, attacking vaccinations and vaccine mandates. I mean, what hypocrisy. But viewers don't understand that, that the Fox people have to be vaccinated to show up for work, but their personalities attack vaccination. In fact, Fox News attacked Sesame Street because Sesame Street characters appeared on a CNN show trying to encourage children 5 to 11 to get vaccines. And you have these Fox News hosts on attacking Sesame Street, and it's just outrageous. Which is astounding considering the fact that if you think about it for a minute, they're guilty of murdering people. Now, that may seem a little excessive, but we do know that the people who are getting the disease are unvaccinated, and the people who are not getting it are vaccinated. So, ipso facto, there you go. That's 5 million people worldwide have died from COVID, 750,000 in the U.S. alone. Sure. And CNN has done a number of these Sesame Street specials for kids trying to explain COVID to them because they're going through this just like everybody else. And it's unconscionable to make fun of it. I saw a lot of it on social media. But for the record, I think Big Bird is only three years old, so he is not eligible for a vaccine. He's <laughs> only five and up. I could well, be wrong he, about he Big could, Bird. But, but he could urge people to get the vaccine. Exactly. 
exactly it. Well, he may only be three years old, but he's been around a long time. <laughs> well, and urging children to get vaccines since the 1970s. In fact, that's true. He, this is not the first vaccine Big Bird has stood in support of. So. It was sort of depressing that they are also, by virtue of criticizing the use of Sesame Street, they're also saying, oh, those liberals that are putting out public television, sure. and you, it's almost like you shouldn't even support Sesame Street, which children loved and was nonpartisan. Well, and we know that if Republicans win Congress, they're going to try to defund public broadcasting. We talked about that last week on this program, that Elise Stefanik, the number three Republican in the House, has said no more federal dollars for public broadcasting. And so there will be a, uh, I'm sure, the Sesame Street lobby, the people who love Sesame Street, which includes Republicans, I think, will probably be upset about that. Well, you know, Ronald Reagan tried that. He heard from the chairs, we know this, of many of the boards of these public television, particularly public television stations, were saying, oh, Ronnie, I'm the chair of this. Uh, <laughs> and he never did it. Uh, and I tell you right now, for WAMC, where we're recording this, this would be a blessing. If they decided to defund public broadcasting, the money would come pouring in from supporters. Well, I don't know. I know. Uh, and no, for your locally, but if, oh, if NPR right. decided to maintain its standards, it would need to make up that revenue somewhere that it gets from the federal government, so it might try to charge you more, and you it, wouldn't like that. No, I wouldn't, but your misuse of the word standards and NPR somewhat affect me. Can I, can I interject yeah. with one good moment in this article about from the OAP that talked about Fox and its mm -hmm. hypocrisy? Mm was about Newsmax, and that Newsmax had suspended its White House correspondent, Emerald Robinson, after she tweeted urging people to not get the vaccine because it puts a marker in you that can be tracked. Actually, what's interesting about that Emerald Robinson tweet started, Dear Christians, colon. I guess Newsmax is only for people of a certain religious affiliation. That's me out. The vaccines contain a bioluminescent marker called luciferase so that you can be tracked, she wrote. Not she true. went over the line. <laughs> you think? And, and, and what's fascinating about the Kaiser study is there's a certain percentage of, Amer of the American public that will believe something like that. Yes, absolutely. It's not 2 or 3%. It's in the double digits, and that's astounding. Believe something like what you like the fact that if you get the vaccine, oh, well, you might see. get a chip in there, or yeah. they, they cause sterility. All those rumors that depress vaccination. Luciferis, I think, is what's in lightning bugs, fireflies. That's what makes them glow <laughs> oh, in the dark. On the science show. <laughs> <laughs> well, you heard it here, folks. It must be true. I'm willing to predict, Rex, that they are not going to defund public broadcasting, even if Trump gets elected. Huh? Because uh, you know it's just too important not only to the people who are watching, but to the people who are being covered by it. And they don't want to see that publicity for themselves disappear. Well, I hope that's true. Uh, it's true. If I say it, it's true. You know, maybe it's just uh, at least Stefanik being of... mad at you and the other public radio stations. No, I can't figure her. that out. In fact, it ticks me off a little bit because she, number three in the House of Representatives, for those who have been asleep on Mars. On well, the Republican uh, side of the House. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Right, right. Well, how do your interviews with her go on the congressional corner? She never will come on. Uh, she won't come well, on. And you knew that. You've got this <laughs> smirk on your face. Whoa. Why will she not come on? Well, I don't know. I can't. Ask her and let us know if you're here. 
Yeah, yeah it, why won't because you come on? Yeah. I think this radio station reaches a great deal of her yeah. congressional district. Almost all of it. Yeah. Mm. And it doesn't make sense because, I mean, you're respectful to people. Absolutely. You let them have People say, say too respectful. Well, that I don't know. But you mean important people. Richie Neal comes on, the chair of the Ways and Means Committee, and it's not as Jim though— Jim McGovern from the 2nd District of Massachusetts, the chair of the Rules Committee, loves the show. Mm-hmm. We treat everybody nicely. Absolutely. So I'm shocked— Shocked, Shocked, I tell you. There's gambling going on here. Yeah. Well, we'll see. Maybe since we can't predict things, we don't know. But certainly public broadcasting is at least a target of what looks to be, if the polls are to be believed, (laughs) (laughs) the rising likelihood of a Republican Congress. That's what the polls say. That would be terrible. Well, there you go. All right. So we move now to what is going on in news platforms. Here is the latest data that comes from the Pew Research Center as to the uh, transition of news from print, television, and radio to digital spaces. Oh, good. Let's Um, look at a poll. Yeah, let's look at a poll. This is uh, actually asking people how you get your news. How do you get your news, folks? A large majority... 84% say they often or sometimes get news from a smartphone, from a computer, or from a tablet. I remember when that number, not that many years ago, was a quarter. Well, not that many years ago, it was zero. But the rise of digital is making it now the most preferential. It is the platform that people prefer to get their news on. About half of Americans say they prefer a digital device. That's more than people who want TV, radio, or print. So that's pretty amazing, don't you think? We've gotten to this point. Well, how do we know who's lying and who's not? That's the thing that bothers me here. Rex, you've said enough times, Judy said it enough times, that we are in a time that newspapers are dying. Young people aren't reading any newspapers. They're not even watching television. And so when questioned, what are they going to say? I'm just stupid? Or are they going to say, I get all my news from my cell phone, but I don't believe it. Mm. You don't believe it. What do you think they do instead? They know nothing. Oh, they oh, they don't get news at all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 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 right. Well, I think there could be something to that, yeah. I think Judy's a little ticked off. She's got her glasses way at the end of her nose. (laughs) (laughs) The issue of whether or not young people are paying attention to news is not new. I think that's always been a problem. One of the problems or concerns I have from the poll is the fact that a lot of things are fairly stable in terms of what platforms people are going to, but the news website's use has gone down from 34% of people who say they get their news primarily from a news website. It's gone down from 34 to 28%, and that was, it seems like a big shift. People are going away from the news websites and instead are going to social media, to Twitter. So we need, I think, traditional media companies need to do a lot more to improve their news websites. Got any ideas? Yeah, get rid of a lot of these flashy ads, these banner ads, they're interrupting ads. It's a real chore to read a typical news website because they are hammering you with interruptions. That's true, but then how do you maintain the staffing in the newsroom to produce the news if you don't have the revenue to do that? Some people have studied better ways of delivering ads. I'm not saying get rid of the advertising altogether. I'm saying get more paid subscribers and doing a better job of providing a good quality ad or doing it through newsletters. It's just the barrage, 20 to 30 ads, an ad every other paragraph. That's, That's overdoing it, and the poll shows it because people are turning away. We also can't tell from the poll whether the increase in paywalls is a factor in why people are going. So yes, the ads are annoying, but maybe you can't even get past that you know, first paragraph of the story if you're not paying for it. It was, I thought, an interesting poll because it didn't just reestablish that people are not looking at print newspapers, they're looking at digital, but the way it broke down 
where the platforms are. So whether they're using their cell phone isn't really the question. We know they're using digital, but are they going to the websites? Are they exactly. using social media? Are they listening to podcasts? And I think this was instructive for news outlets to say, okay, people are not necessarily going to go to our site. <laughs> they might be going to, through searches. They might be just using social media. It'd be interesting to watch the trends on this. You know, when the emergency stuff shows up, you're watching television, and just at the climax of the show, this red thing comes mm, across. Mm, storm yeah, coming. Yeah, Take cover. Then, right, right. And you always think, go away. We know all this. That's why we have weather forecasts and the rest of it. And uh, I was talking to somebody the other day, and I said, yeah, well, that's true. But what happens if there's a tornado aimed at your house? <laughs> and they didn't tell you. And sure hear about that. Yeah, people don't need the news until they do. And that is one of the differences with young people now. They assume that if news is important, it will find them. Digital has that capacity. It can come sweeping in on your device if you have enabled it, you know, if you have any kind of relationship. By the way, there is one demographic group in which more than 50% of the people say they get their news from print, and that is over age 65. There are some people in this room who qualify in that category. Only one of us, right? <laughs> exactly. Well, I was surprised by the low numbers for podcasting. I thought that that was a far more substantial portion of the news market. But of the people who get their news primarily from podcasts, it's like 6%. The way the podcasts are out, there are there are a thousand of them. You would think it would be far more uh, popular. They're not all news podcasts. I think that's what makes the difference. When people say, how do you get your news? They think about, well, what's happening lately? What's the latest thing going on? Anyway, so with the decline of everything but digital, with all of us trying to do more digital, you know, you can uh, download this program at WAMC.org anytime you like, and all of the newspapers that we used to work for are focusing on digital, and print has sort of become the afterthought. Which you predicted many years ago, Rex. You said so. You said this was coming, and I'm not forgetting it. It wasn't hard to predict. <laughs> it was uh, clearly what the direction we were going. Sad, but just because we found it easier and more profitable, and therefore you could have a bigger news staff uh, when the days sure. of print were thriving. I'm sure your publisher was delighted with your making that prediction. <laughs> yeah, well, we all knew it was coming. It's just that we couldn't quite figure out how to do it. We're getting there, but as Judy points out, the ads are problematic still. We don't yet have the formula for what will appeal to people for the user experience. In Chicago, we mentioned this was coming a few weeks ago, there is now an unusual marriage of print and public media. The Chicago Sun-Times, the second newspaper of Chicago, suddenly has a new life. This is a tabloid, you know, the Sun-Times has been this kind of, oh, it's kind of like the New York Daily News for people who aren't familiar with it. There's a lot of emphasis on sports. It's lively. Sun-Times is now being acquired by Chicago Public Broadcasting, WBEZ, which is the home of Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, and This American Life comes to WBEZ Chicago, which you hear on this station. WBEZ is acquiring the Sun-Times, and there will now be this unified newsroom. I wonder if we're going to see more of that kind of thing. You want to buy a newspaper, Alan? Yes. I'd like to buy anything. We're just buying our 29th radio station here at really? WMC. Wow. It's going to cover a good deal of northwestern Connecticut. Cool. Um, yeah. So wow. it is a buyer's market now for buying things like that. And I, I certainly would love to own it, one of your decrepit newspapers. <laughs> <laughs> well. So one of the problems with mergers like this or with any kind of merger is when you, uh, when you merge two news entities into one, then you reduce the competition by one. Um, back in the day, Albany had two newspapers. Schenectady had at least two. And you would have reporters fighting for a scoop. And it, that puts pressure on everybody 
to cover the news more thoroughly. So um, I bemoan the lack of competition or the diminishment of competition in Chicago and anytime that happens. Now, Alan, you're saying maybe? How could it not happen? Well, because you really don't know if by concentrating, let's say, public broadcasting and a newspaper together, whether there might not be some extra energy that happens when you do that. Don't you understand? It could happen if the controlling entity, which presumably is WBEZ, will maintain the staffing. That's the difficult thing because newspapers traditionally have had, of course, huge staffs, and that's how you maintain local coverage. And so maintaining that staffing is hard. And for you, you know, the challenge is as you acquire these things, then maintaining the coverage. If if you're going to have a signal that now goes into northwestern Connecticut, those people are going to expect you to cover more of their news. So that's a challenge. Maybe we have a lot of northwest Connecticut listeners already, to Mm. be perfectly honest with you. And this is just going to fill in some of the blanks. But you're right, Rex. People have expectations based on, you know, the fact that they are allowed to have expectations, if that makes any sense. And when you were discussing Chicago, I knew a man who danced with his wife in Chicago, in Chicago. <laughs> you, okay. got, you got me singing Little Orphan Annie last time. I'm not falling for it again. Well, congratulations on the expansion into Western Connecticut. It does provide another challenge. As a listener from New York, then I want to hear a balance. I want the news to mean something to me. So part of the challenges for your staff will be you've got the same amount of hours of a day of airtime, sure. and how do you appeal to everybody? In Chicago, at least they're all covering Chicago. And I'm optimistic about the merger because the competition from Alden that now owns the Tribune and the company that decimated the Saratogian and the Troy Record, I don't think there's going to be a lot of competition there. Uh, Yeah, that's a sad thing. The Chicago Tribune is the flagship of Tribune Publishing, which is now owned by Alden Capital, and their reputation is to slash and burn newsrooms, to sell everything they can. It's a traditional business model. A cash cow becomes depleted, and they just ride it all the way into the sunset and get everything they can out of it until it Hmm. is killed. And that, I'm sad to say, is what they're doing with newspapers all over the country. And it will be difficult to see what happens if that is what happens to the Chicago Tribune. But if it does, that could make WBEZ the dominant news organization of Chicago. Yeah, and I think there's some benefits between a radio station and a newspaper coming together because they bring different skills. The radio personnel can teach newspaper people about audio, and the newspaper people can teach the radio people how to spell, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. Um, Reporting (laughs) fundamentals, maybe. We're doing, WAMC, the station we're recording in right now, is doing incredibly well. I'm shocked to hear that. In terms of not only how many people (laughs) are listening, but how many people are buying underwriting. We don't have ads here on WAMC. Oh, 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 right. Those are not ads. They're underwriting. That's right. All right. Well, we'll come back to euphemisms and uh, their use of journalism <laughs> some other time. That's all we have time for in the oh, Media Project. Alan Shartok, Barbara Lombardo, Judy Patrick, and I'm Rex Smith with gratitude to our producer, David Gustina, for guiding us through all of this. And to you folks, our listeners, for joining us once again this week on The Media Project. Their the Media Project is a production of WAMC Northeast Public Radio. Alan Shartok is CEO of WAMC, Professor Emeritus at the State University of New York, commentator, columnist, and author. Greg Smith is the former editor of the Albany Times Union. Barbara Lombardo is a journalism professor at the University at Albany and former executive editor of the Saratogian and the Troy Record. And Judy Patrick is the vice president for editorial development for the New York Press Association. You can listen to or podcast The Media Project anytime at 
wamc.org or just download the WAMC app for your iPhone or Android at the Play Store today. Thanks for listening. Cheers, the freedom of the press.